Hello, I'm Katie. And I'm Amy. And this is Right to Remain Silent, a true crime podcast. And this is part two of The Butcher of Hanover. So last week, if you didn't listen, which we highly recommend that you do, uh, we talked about Fritz's childhood, um, how he didn't get on with his father and how his mother babied him, teaching him activities that only girls would have learned at that time. Um, how he was sexually abused at the age of eight and how he had to hide his sexuality and started a relationship with Erna. He got her pregnant and then left to join the military but was soon after discharged for medical reasons. After an assault on his father, he was deemed morally inferior but not mentally unstable, which we now know that he truly is. (laughs) How he went through a stage of stealing tombstones and graves with a female colleague and spent most of his life between 1905 and 1912 in prison. And then only a year later, he was found to be in possession of numerous stolen goods that cost him another five years behind bars. After leaving prison, he became an informant for local police, patrolling Hanover Station for not only information but also for his next victim, which began in 1918. In 1919, Fritz met Hans Granz, who later became his lover and accomplice. In 1920, Fritz served another 10 months in prison for the sexual assault and battery of a 13-year-old boy, but soon after regained trust of local police as an informant. So at this point, we're in 1923, and I just want to say that this whole podcast is extremely name-heavy. We will get most of the names wrong, and it's a lot of information and a lot of deaths. So If you want to take a break and pause it and come back, then feel free to do so because even researching this was just name after name after name and it kind of got a bit much after a while. Um, So do your best. I hope you can keep up because it is a lot. (laughs) We will try and go slowly so that you take in all the information because there's a lot of dates as well. Yeah, there is a lot of dates. You might need a pen and paper, to be honest, because it's just so much and so fast. Um, But yeah, here we go. On the 12th of February 1923, 17-year-old pianist Fritz Frank met Fritz Harmon at Hanover Central Station and he was invited back to the apartment. At the apartment was Hans and two women, one of whom was Hans's female lover. The female lover, whose name we were unable to find, as usual, since women are just not mentioned in these old cases... Clearly female lovers just no, aren't No, I mean, unless they're a missus somebody, they're not real, are they? You know, they're not no. real human beings. It's very yeah. frustrating. Yeah, the female lover recalled Hans whispering to her about Fritz Frank. Hey, he's going to get trampled tonight. Although what Hans meant by this was uncertain at this time, it is believed that he didn't know that Harmon had previously murdered a young male. The women returned the following day and were told by Fritz Harmon that Fritz Frank had left, travelling to Hamburg. After the murder, Hans returned to the apartment and found Frank's naked body lay on Fritz's bed. His reaction was to ask Fritz, when shall I come back again? Which is just not something you ask somebody who's murdered someone. I mean, clearly he didn't care. And maybe wanted to join in. I don't know. No idea what he was thinking. 
Between March and June of the same year, before the men moved into a new apartment, Fritz killed three more young men. Wilhelm Schlutz. Schultz? Schultz. Yes, it is Schultz. (laughs) I listened to the podcast where her surname, their surname is Schultz. I should know this. Um, Wilhelm Schultz, aged 17, met Fritz on the 20th of March, 1923. And although his remains were never found, Elizabeth Engel, who was Fritz's landlady at New Straub, was in possession of all of Wilhelm's clothes. Roland Hutch, 16, disappeared on the 23rd of May after leaving home to join the Marines, and 19-year-old Hans Sonnefeld went missing around the 31st of May. Fritz would wear Sonnefeld's yellow coat after the murder. Fritz and Hans moved to a new single-room attic apartment on the 9th of June 1923 at 2 Rote Rye and continued killing only two weeks after moving in. This time, it was the 13-year-old son of his neighbour. Ernst Ehrenberg was out running an errand and didn't return home. His school cap and braces were found in the apartment after Fritz's arrest. After a two-month hiatus, Fritz murdered 18-year-old Heinrich Strube, who was reported missing by his aunt, who he lived with on the 24th of August. Again, his belongings were found in Fritz's apartment. Only a month later, Paul Bronischewski? Something like that. Who was 17 was reported missing after failing to arrive at Bochum as expected after working with his uncle during the summer. His trousers, jacket and other items were in Fritz's possession after arrest. Around the 30th of September of the same year, Fritz killed his eighth victim, 17-year-old Richard Graf, who had told family members that he had met someone at Hanover Station who had good work for him. On the 12th of October, only two weeks later, 16-year-old Wilhelm Erdner didn't return home from work. His parents told police that he had recently become acquainted with a detective Fritz Honnerbrock. It seems that Fritz had been using a false name and posing as a police officer to gain trust with these young men. Fritz and Hans sold Wilhelm's bicycle on the 20th of October and within a week after the sale, Fritz had killed twice more. Hermann Wolf, 15, and Heinz Brinkman, 13. Both of them were taken from the train station. It does keep going, by the way. It's just more and more. On the 10th of November, 1923, Adolf Hannapel. Hannapel, yeah. I've been looking at this one for a long time. It's definitely Hannapel. Okay. <laughs> 17, who is an apprentice carpenter from Dusseldorf, disappeared from Hanover Station. Witnesses identified Hans walking with another man, pointing at Hanapple before him following the two towards a cafe. On the 6th of December 1923, Adolf Heines was reported missing during a time when he was seeking employment, something Fritz had used to entice earlier victims. Fritz denied killing Hennies, saying he found him lying dead on his bed in the presence of Hans and a friend. Hans denies this, and the conviction for Hennies was thrown out due to the conflicting testimonies and no body found to use as evidence. So I think that's crazy that, I know it was a long time ago, you know, 1923, they didn't 
have everything we have today. But to know that somebody is missing and to just throw out a conviction because there wasn't a body. Yeah. And two different people are saying, well, he killed him. No, he did. Well, clearly the guy's dead. Yeah, I know. I'm wondering whether they found any of his belongings there, you know, at the apartment. Because for most of them, they found belongings. Yeah. Um, Maybe they didn't for this one and that's why it got thrown out. I think it might be to do with the fact that it was they couldn't decide who had killed him, whether it was yeah. Fritz or it was Hans. So they couldn't um, convict. convict one or the other because obviously it was his yeah. word against his. Yeah. There is information that says that Hans Granz had bought Henny's coat from Harmon, but obviously that, again, is his word against his. So Yeah. True. Quickly after Christmas and New Year, Fritz murdered 17-year-old Ernst Speaker on 5th of January 1924. Ten days later, his next victim was 20-year-old Heinrich Koh. In early February, in quick succession, he murdered 19-year-old Willy Senger, who told his sister he was travelling with a friend, and 16-year-old Herman Spiker. Spiker. I'm really sorry for anyone who's German. I'm really sorry. <laughs> We're just terrible people. <laughs> uh, Herman Spiker, who was also last seen by his sister. It seems that Fritz didn't take any more victims until around the 1st of April that year. 22-year-old Herman Bock was last seen by friends walking toward Fritz's apartment. He was cleared of Bock's murder at the trial but was in possession of many of his items and had given his suitcase to the landlady. You know, he had so many other items from other victims. Yeah. Why couldn't they convict him on that? It's crazy to me as well that he was so nonchalant about it that he was like, hi, landlady, do you want this suitcase full of clothes? Yeah. Like, did she not question anything? Did Why didn't she go to the police? I think because of the work that he did. You know, he was always buying and selling clothes and... Thing, so yeah, I suppose for her True, that was a cover. It, it was just like, oh, he's just got these clothes that he can't sell, or yeah, maybe. But still, you know, suspicious a little just bit. Just a bit. He also apparently convinced Herman's friends not to report him missing for quite a while. On the second of April, a day later, sixteen-year-old Alfred. Griff had run away from home, and by the 8th of April, he had encountered Fritz at the station. Nine days later, 16-year-old apprentice Will April disappeared once again from Hanover Station. Robert Witzel, 18, had received some money from his mother to attend the circus on the 26th of April. His parents told police that Robert had been accompanied by an official from the station to the circus, and Fritz openly explained how he killed Robert that evening. That's so sad that he was just, like, on his way to the circus. I know. Like, because an 18-year-old back then is completely different to an 18-year-old oh, now. They were quite young. And I'm not saying... Yeah, I'm not saying he was a child by any means, because at 18, most people then had a job and were right. earning and, you know, going to work every... Yeah. They were a lot more grown up in the way that we think of that that yeah. term than what an 18 year old nowadays would be but they would still enjoy something so much like the circus yeah. 
Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm just going to the circus and then doesn't come home. Yeah. He's it's... not like the other boys, is he? You know, he's not a runaway. No, he's not homeless, he's not looking for work, he's just literally going to have a nice yeah. time. Not saying that the other boys, it's their fault, that's not what we're saying at all, we're saying no, it's a completely different no, situation, and it's strange how... He didn't target a vulnerable person. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what we're trying to say, aren't we, you know? Yeah, it's just it's so random that he just picked this guy that was going for a oh, night no. out, or a day out, yeah. or whatever... He didn't target his usual no, victim. not at all. A 14-year-old boy named Heinz Martin was reported missing by his mother after she had last seen him on the 9th of May, 1924. His clothing was found in Fritz's apartment and he had once again taken the boy from the station. 17-year-old travelling salesman Fritz Wittig was murdered on the 26th of May on Hans' insistence according to Fritz, due to him wearing a good suit. So kind of Hans is just using him now. Yeah, it's just like, that guy's wearing nice clothes that I want, so can you kill him for me so I can have yeah. his clothes? Why not just rob him? I know, <laughs> Just rob yeah. him of his suit. Just, just, yeah, but if they were to beat him up and steal his suit, then it would be dirty and then they need to dry clean it, whereas if you kill him, it's free. So, so. Trying to think yeah, like them. It's not a nice experience. On the same day, Fritz's youngest victim, 10-year-old Friedrich Abling, disappeared while skipping school. What's he doing with a 10-year-old? I think that's... They're all horrible, but the fact that he stooped so low as a 10-year-old is just really, really disturbing. Yeah, it is. Because we all know what he did to all of his victims. And, all right, they were all young anyway. You know, 15 to 20 is a very young age group to, to yeah. target. But 10, it's, it's got to be yeah, the worst one. I think so. And there's no information on him either, you know, which is, which is sad. No. Just yeah. a name. On the 5th of June, 16-year-old Friedrich Coe was approached by Fritz while walking to college with some friends. His friends testified at court that Fritz tapped Friedrich with his cane on his boot and exclaimed, Well, boy, don't you recognise me? Which I think is, he's getting bold now, isn't he? He's approaching people with friends. And he's not bothered that people are witnessing it. because he's got away with it now for so long that he's just like, oh, well, I want that one, so I'm going to go and get that one. Yeah. On the 14th of June... 1924, Fritz Harmon killed his final victim, 17-year-old Eric de Ries, I think, who he met at, once again, Hanover Central Station. Fritz explained to police that it had taken him four trips using Friedrich Coe's leather bag to remove Eric's body parts from his apartment to the lake where he dumped them. Wow. Fritz Harmon's murderous claim over boys and young men in Hanover was finally stopped when he was arrested on the 23rd of June for, of all things, sexual assault on a 15-year-old boy named Carl Fromm. Fritz and the boy were arguing in the street and it was Fritz himself who approached police officers and told them to arrest Carl as he had forged documents. 
It was only when Carl told officers that he'd been living with Fritz for four days, where he had been threatened with a knife while raped repeatedly, that they returned to Fritz and arrested him. That's what I mean, like, when he's getting so bold, he's like, look, come here, officers, look at this naughty boy with all his forged documents. Yeah. Well, I mean, in his defence, and I don't like to defend him, he has got the police on hand. Yeah. So he probably does feel like he can get away with more than the average person, at least. And the police have even said, oh, yeah, we we know you went to jail for this, but you were really good informants if you want to carry on now that you're out of jail. Yeah. Great. And I feel like they must have turned a blind eye to some things. They must have known something was going on because of his history and his reputation. And just because he was feeding them such good information, they chose to ignore it. Yeah. It's horrible. In early May, two young children playing near the Line River had found a human skull exhibiting knife wounds. The police were unsure whether this was a murder victim, grave robbers dumping a body trying to escape capture, or from a medical institution. They also suggested that it may have come from Alfeld, a town further up the river that had recently experienced an outbreak of typhoid. Now, Katie says that everybody who knows true crime should know what typhoid is, and clearly I am the minority (laughs) because I had no idea. So for those of you like me who don't know, typhoid is a bacterial infection caused by a specific type of salmonella. So why a typhoid victim would have knife wounds on its skull is very confusing. Yeah, it just it doesn't make sense. You don't cure typhoid by stabbing someone in the head. It, it's almost like saying, you know, that we weren't sure whether this skull may have been like a flu victim. Yeah. Because it's completely irrelevant as to why they would have knife wounds in their skull. No. There's just no, there's no need. There's there's no reason, so, yeah. Yeah, that was just a very silly thing to say. Over the next month, several more skulls and a bag of bones were found, and by the 8th of June, hundreds of Hanover residents searched the banks of the river and the surrounding areas looking for more signs of human bone. Many were found, and these finds caused the police force to drag the whole section of the line that ran through the city of Hanover. Over 500 bones and several body parts were found during this search, belonging to at least 22 individual human bodies. Many of the parts showed signs of dissection, mostly at the joints, and over 30% belonged to young males between the ages of 15 and 20. Due to Fritz Harmon's previous convictions of sexual assault on young men and the links between him and the disappearances of Friedel Roth and Herman Coe, a 14-year-old who disappeared prior to Roth, Fritz was placed under surveillance. The surveillance began on the 18th of June and only five days later he was arrested. So, as we were reading this and it just come to light that I didn't mention Herman Coe at all during this and basically... He was a young man who went missing in 1918, just weeks prior to him killing Friedel Roth. And he's only a suspected victim. There's no actual evidence that Fritz killed him. 
but he is suspected to have killed him. So I just wanted to put that in there because I realised it wasn't something that was mentioned earlier and you might wonder, who is this other name that you've never mentioned before? Because <laughs> Amy was. <laughs> yeah, I really was. Fritz initially pleaded his innocence, denying he didn't murder anyone, but police were to find enough evidence to change his mind. At his current apartment, number two wrote Rye, the walls, flooring and bedding were covered in bloodstains. He tried to explain this away as from his illegal meat-selling business. However, the numerous personal items from each victim told a different story. The items collected from his several apartments he'd resided at over the years and the items given to landladies were placed on display at Hanover Police Station. Parents, family and friends of missing young men came to see if anything matched, and a large number of possessions were claimed. That's so sad. It is sad, it is. Sorry to interrupt you, but I can just imagine all these families going to this almost exhibition of his legacy of murder... And claiming little bits and pieces of the people that they've lost. I know. That must must have been so emotional. Yeah, I suppose it's like when there's like a disaster, isn't there? And, you know, you have to walk through... It's not the same, but you have to walk through the bodies and find out if any of those bodies are your family. It's kind of like yeah. that, but without the bodies, isn't it? And you hope that you don't find something, but then you also hope that you do, because at least you know where they are. And at least you have closure. Yeah. I can I can just imagine like how emotional that day was. Yeah. And like how horrible that room must have been where they were. It's not something you ever want to experience, is it? No. Definitely not. Fritz explained that these were coincidental and they had been left by men he had had sex with over the years or from the clothes trading he had been known to do. Tenants and other witnesses living near Fritz had seen a number of teenage boys entering all of his apartments and they reported that Fritz often left with large bags returning later on without them. It was the eventual find of items belonging to Robert Witzel, including his keys in Fritz's apartment and an unknown skull found in May the police linked as Robert that made Fritz break down. His sister was there to support him but urged him to confess his crimes. Police would be shocked by the gruesome tale of a savage murderer coming from a quiet, effeminate man who seemed unable to stop killing. Fritz Harmon told officers how he had what he called a rabid sexual passion which led him to rape, murder and dismember a large number of young men. When asked how many he had killed, he said between 50 and 70, but officers, however, believed the number to be around 24 to 27. Fritz explained how he had never intended to kill any of the men he raped, but he was driven to an overwhelming urge to bite into or through their Adam's apple in the throes of ecstasy, usually while he was manually strangling the victim. Disgusting. Why Why would anyone have that urge? Why? I mean, I can't even look at an Adam's apple. No, you don't like it, do you? You know how I, nobody can touch my throat, for anybody who doesn't know me, like... Me and Dave can be, you know, being really passionate and he touches my throat and I'm like, oh my God, get off me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I hate the thought of somebody touching my throat. Only I can. Not even the cat can do it. (laughs) You really hate it, don't you? So, oh, it's disgusting. 
But however, this is how he gained his name of the Vampire of Hanover. All of Fritz's victims were dismembered after his death, a task which Fritz claimed he took no joy in, and an exercise that was spread over two days. There is a full breakdown of how Fritz would dissect and dismember each body over on Wikipedia, if you want to go and read it, but we feel that it's not something we need to lay out in great detail here. He was very methodical in the way he would do it, and seemed to be a perfectionist about it. He explained how after dismembering his first victim, Friedel Roth, he was ill for eight days. Bless him. I know, it's such a shame that he had to deal with that. Well, don't do it again 24 more times. I know. Incidentally, on the day that police came looking for Friedel at his apartment in 1918, Fritz explained that Friedel's head was wrapped up in newspaper behind the stove. The dissection of the victims gave him the second name of the Butcher of Hanover. He claimed that he had killed more than the police force believed, but said, not those you think. He would only admit to the murders of which the police had evidence to prove that he did so. Hans Granz was arrested on the 8th of July 1924 and was charged with accessory to murder a week later. A psychological evaluation on the 16th of August 1924, Fritz was deemed fit to stand trial. The trial for both Fritz and Hans began on the 4th of December. I'm just glad all the names are over. Because it's just so hard. Well... Yeah, I know, but I mean, like, in the context of the story, you know, it's... Yeah. Yeah, we can struggle again later. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of doesn't feel real with the amount, and it's... It's how close they are as well, like, he's saying that each dissection or dismemberment took two days, but there was a point where he killed... One person on the 1st of April and somebody on the 2nd. Yeah, well, there's one where he killed the two people in one day. Exactly. So what is he doing with all of these body parts? I don't know. I don't want to know. No. That was a rhetorical question. But that's a lot of bodies. Yeah, it is. In such a short space of time. And if you read how he did it. I don't want to. The throat thing was enough. Yeah, So he spends a long time dissecting these bodies. A long time. You know, so... It was like like his job. It was was literally like a butcher. That's basically what he was. But he was butchering humans rather than cows or pigs or whatever. You know. And he wasn't even making money off it. It was because of this sexual urge that he had. The term serial killer hadn't been coined in 1924 but it is clear that this was a term fit for Fritz Harmon. The press continuously used the terms werewolf, vampire and wolfman to describe Fritz, and the case and trial was highly sensationalised, especially when it came to Fritz's involvement with the police as an informant. How was he able to get away with killing so many, when the police even had witnesses placing Fritz with many of the teenagers who went missing? See? They were ignoring it. They must have been. They must have just been turning the other way, thinking, oh, he's just having sex with them. No, just just sleeping with teenage boys, yeah, we can deal with that. Yeah, which is wrong anyway. So, surely they should have been doing something about that. Yeah, definitely. 
At the trial, Fritz was charged with the murder of 27 young men and boys but confessed to 14 of the murders. He explained that they weren't premeditated and couldn't understand why he had done it, just that it happened in the moment. There was a rumour circulating that Fritz had either eaten or sold parts of the victim's flesh on the black market. He denied this, and a medical expert confirmed that none of the meat found in his apartment following his arrest was human. Fritz was unable and or refused to identify any of the victims by photograph, claiming he couldn't remember but they could charge him with it anyway. Almost 200 witnesses were at the trial giving evidence and the trial lasted only two weeks. Before sentencing, Fritz made the following statement. Condemn me to death. I ask only for justice. I am not mad. Make it short. Make it soon. Deliver me from this life, which is a torment. I will not petition for mercy, nor will I appeal. I want to pass just one more merry night in my cell with coffee, cheese and cigars, after which I will curse my father and go to my execution as if it were a wedding. He really hated his dad, didn't he? Yeah, but that's just the coward's way out. I'll just kill me. Don't make me suffer for years in prison. Just kill me. Yeah, I suppose so. Didn't read it that way, but yeah. <sighs> yeah. I, d- I don't believe in the death sentence. Even with this guy? Yeah, no, I think they should be made to suffer for the rest of their lives. Yeah, true. It's like I said, why do we test on animals when we can test on people like this? Yeah. This is the perfect person to put through torture, like he did with his victims. Yeah. Yeah. Rant over. (laughs) Continue. Fritz Harmon was found guilty to 24 of the 27 murders and sentenced to death by beheading. His response was, I accept the verdict fully and freely. I shall go to the decapitating block joyfully and happily. See? It's what he wants. He's won. Yeah. Hans was sentenced to 12 years imprisonment for assisting with the murder of Fritz Wittig and death for the murder of Adolf Hannapel. He appealed the sentence. The first time was rejected, but he was allowed a second trial and after a letter from Fritz um, was found claiming Hans's innocence, the death sentence was dropped. He served his 12 years in prison, and after spending time in Sachsenhausen concentration camp, which was the camp that we visited this year in March, mm-hmm. he lived in Hanover for the rest of his life until he died in 1980. I can't imagine Sachsenhausen was a very nice place to spend any no, time. No, because we went, didn't all. we? I know we're kind of going off topic. We did. We went thinking it was, and then put this in inverted commas, just a concentration camp. Yeah. And it turned out it wasn't. It was also used as a death camp. And we didn't want to go to one that was a death camp. No, we only discovered it when we were stood over the trench where they shot people. (laughs) We was like, what's this? Oh, shit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we we got the map out and was like, ah. I think everyone should go to a concentration camp to understand what it's like because the feeling there is like nothing anywhere else. Um, I kind of don't like the media and the sensationalisation that kind of comes with Auschwitz. That's why we didn't go there. We weren't anywhere near, but you know we've we've discussed this often, haven't we? Whether we want to go to Auschwitz. Yeah. But yeah, Sachsenhausen was. 
I don't know. It's an experience. It's very hard to explain, and I think you will only ever feel that way when you go somewhere like that. It doesn't have to be a concentration camp. It could be a prison or, you know, just a place where obviously a lot of bad things have happened. Um, We were quite lucky that it wasn't that busy the day that we went, and so we did get a good feel for, you know, the, the feeling that you're meant to feel while you're there. Yeah. Um, the thing that puts me off Auschwitz is how busy it would be every yeah, day of the year. I don't think there's a time where you could ever go and walk around when it was as quiet as it was when we went. You know, there were times where there was nobody about at any point where we were. I think that was better for the experience, but it was worse for the feeling. Like, it really overcame me when it was just the two of us yeah because you kind of stood there and it was so silent and you kind of you could get a feeling of how it was when it when there was people living there and yeah but yeah i definitely think everyone should go especially to a, a german concentration camp and just just see and experience what it's like yeah i don't think i'd ever go again <laughs> but i'm glad that i went i wish we could have spent more time there than we did but it was the last day wasn't it and we were so yeah. exhausted and we'd travelled quite a way anyway yeah. to get there. But yeah, I would highly recommend going to one. Back on topic, sorry. Yes. On the 15th of April 1925, Fritz was beheaded by guillotine in private with only a handful of witnesses. German tradition was to not tell the prisoner of their execution date until the evening before. And when he was told, he requested an expensive cigar and Brazilian coffee. He also had a pastor in attendance to pray with him. After the execution, sections of Fritz's brain were removed for forensic analysis, but only meningitis was detected. The brain wasn't preserved, but it would have been interesting to see what forensic scientists would discover with the technology used today. Fritz's head was preserved in Vermilderheide and was in the possession of Gottingham Medical School until 2014 when it was cremated. I'm quite sad that it's gone. Yeah. I'd like to see it. Is that weird? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, you can see it on Google, but... Why would you want to see it? I don't know. Morbid fascination. But is it not going to be like one of those horror films where, you know, there's like a head floating in a jar and their eyes are like really, really wide? No, remember that shark that was in that abandoned theme park thing? No. In America. You not see it on YouTube? No. So basically, it was like an abandoned theme park or something, and these um, urban explorers were going around filming, and they found this great white shark in formaldehyde, just in the middle of this barn. Because that's normal. It's the scariest thing, but I couldn't stop looking. See, an animal, yeah but a human head. Yeah, it doesn't move. They don't float about. It's completely, like, static. Still no. I I don't ever want to see a human head that isn't attached to a human. Not like on Futurama, where they're, like, just heads attached to computers. No, that freaks me (laughs) out. Really freaks me out. (sighs) See, if you want to see it, just Google Fritz Harmon's head, and it'll come up. Grim. 
The remains of Fritz's victims were placed in the communal grave at Stockener Cemetery in February 1925, and in 1928 a headstone was placed listing all his victims. It's important that we acknowledge all the victims. We said this last time, and we said it at the beginning, I think. Um, and yeah. even though we named every single one throughout the story, we want to name them again, just because they were kind of lost in the story, and I think it's important that we think about each one. Even though this was like 100 years ago, you know, there were still people who missed out on a life because of a man whose sexual deviance overpowered any moral compass he may have had. Friedel Roth, 17. Fritz Frank, 17. Wilhelm Schultz, 17. Roland Hutch, 16. Hans Sonnefeld, 19. Ernst Ehrenberg, 13. Heinrich Strub, 18. Paul Bronischewski, 17. Richard Graff, 17. Erdner, 16. Hermann Wolf, 15. Heinz Brinkman, 13. Adolf Hannapel, 17. Adolf Hennies, 19. Ernst Speaker, 17. Heinrich Coe, 20. Willie Senger, 19. Hermann Speakhurt, 16. Hermann Bock, 22. Alfred Hoggreef, 16. Wilhelm Apel, 16. Robert Witzel, 18. Heinz Martin, 14. Fritz Wittig, 17. Friedrich Abling, 10. Friedrich Coe, 16. And Eric de Vries, 17. And that's it. That is the Butcher of Hanover. It's like you said, it's kind of hard to believe that it's a true story because it all happened so fast. And it almost sounds like somebody's sick idea of a good film. Yeah. Because it is literally one after the other. It's like he just couldn't stop. Yeah. You know, he was just... It was like, right, I've had one, now I want another one, now I want another one, now I want another one. Yeah, it's like an addiction. Yeah, it really was. Like he just couldn't get enough. Yeah. And that's scarier than what he did. Like, the the idea behind how he must have been thinking. Yeah, I get what you mean. And if he wasn't a police informer, do you think they would have caught him quicker? Do you think they just really turned a blind eye because he was giving them all these criminals? I think maybe they turned a blind eye, like you said earlier, maybe he was just sleeping with them. But the fact that all of these boys and men were reported missing, yeah, you know, it wasn't... I know all of them weren't because some of them were runaways, some of them were homeless... But they must have seen him with at least a couple of the the boys that had been reported missing and never acted on it. Well, if you think about the last boy who wasn't murdered, Carl Fromm. So he had him four days. Was he the only one that he kept for four days before killing him? Or has he done this numerous times and, you know... The boys haven't run away, or... 
I mean, it the whole thing with the throat, I suppose it depended at which point that happened. Yeah. If he could control that for a number of days, he had a sexual partner. Yeah. For those times, if he could control himself to not... No. I can't repeat it. The throat thing. I think as well it might... I don't want to. I don't want to say it because I don't like the way it sounds. But maybe it was the way the boys reacted. Yeah. That made him then react in the way that he did. So maybe Carl was very submissive. Maybe. And just let it happen. Yeah. I mean, he was being held at knife yeah. point. So. Whereas the others maybe were against him, or I don't know. Yeah. I don't really want to think about it too much, but. No. I'm thinking maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's why he killed them so quickly. You know, that was the trigger that he needed that made it so exciting for him. Yeah, I was going to say maybe the the fighting might have been that extra turn on for that feeling to overtake him. Yeah. And for him to bite them. Yeah. It sounds really silly saying it like that. It does, doesn't it? But... (laughs) Well, I'm done with this. I don't want to talk about it again because it's bloody depressing. I'm even drinking gin. Oh, wow. I'm drinking gin while we're recording this. Aren't you in work tomorrow? It's one gin. Well, one gin would not make me fit for work <laughs> you, you tomorrow. You don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Plus, I haven't been able to drink for like three weeks because my mouth's been sore and it's finally healing, so... Oh, don't no, speak too soon. Up. And my stitches are coming out. Oh, good. So, yeah. Oh, good. Bit of more disgusting information for you there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what are you reading this week, Amy? Literally, the only thing I've read this week is what we've just said. <laughs> I always ask Amy to proofread it because sometimes, especially if like we're near deadline of recording, I just kind of free write, don't I? Yeah. And so I have to make yeah. it make sense to me. <laughs> Amy was always my proofreader at university. I was. I'd go, Amy, I know you don't understand it, but read this. <laughs> as long as it makes some sort of sense and you're following yeah. it somehow. Just check for grammar, then please. I, I can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I started Mexican Gothic, which I forgot I bought on Kindle when it was 99p. Oh, right. And when I turned my Kindle on for the first time in months, no, not months, I'm, I'm lying. About three weeks. I was like, oh my god, I've got Mexican Gothic. So I started that. So now I've got four books on my bedside table. Oh, wow. However, when this comes out, I'll have finished work yesterday. I hate you. I'm sorry. Now I have like ten days to read, so I want two more finished. And I'm going to read Mexican Gothic and Ready Player Two. Before 2021. Well, I'm not reading anything, but I have a funny story. Oh, go on. So... Me and Dave went out for tea the other day. Um, and, you know, as you do, we were chatting. So a bit of a backstory is that when I first moved in with Dave, for some reason, I started getting loads and loads of spots. I don't know whether it was, like, hormonal or I blame the water. I was going to say, was it changing water? It potentially. I don't know what it was. But anyway, um, I tried everything that I could afford. Yeah. Um. And I always thought, you know, one day they'll all go away and they never did. So I spent a bit of extra money, bought a bit, like, some better stuff. 
And I was explaining to Dave how it's been really working and, you know, really happy and it's got so much better that I'm not even wearing makeup for work anymore because I feel better about myself. Yeah. And as I was saying that, he started saying, you don't even look any, and he said, better. Because I said better, but it sounded like, you don't even look any better. (laughs) And and he was like, oh my God, no, 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 I didn't mean to say that. I meant to say you don't even look any different without your makeup (laughs) on. (laughs) <laughs> and so I was just sat there like thank you for saving that because I feel like I yeah. look better maybe I don't <laughs> oh, I can imagine him like instant panic on his face oh god yeah it was he put his pint oh, down and everything he was like I didn't mean it <laughs> oh, whereas Mike calls me twat face and stuff so um, no see yeah. I don't get that see, I, I don't know what's worse though because like this morning, he came over. He, he'd already got out of bed. The cat's like crawling all over my head and my face yeah. and everything. So I leant up on my elbows on my front, and he comes over and he starts tickling my back. And he's like, Are "You okay, beautiful? You look really confused." And I was like, "Dave, it is five thirty in the morning. <laughs> of course, I look confused. I'm confused as to why I'm awake." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. What is going well, on? I got up this morning when my alarm went off the first time. Wow, I never do that. I never, ever, ever do that. It's because I was going town this afternoon after work. Oh, right. So I work a job where I would do flexi time. So it's kind of flexi time. I have to start any time between 8 and 10 in the morning. So we do seven and a half hours. So if I go in at 8, I finish at half 3. If I go in at 10, I finish at half 5. So this morning I wanted to be in before half past eight, so that I could then go to town and do Christmas shopping. Um, yeah. We're recording this a week early, by the way, so this is like, we're talking about the 16th of December at the moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're actually on time for recording. We know it's like not normal, but we're, we're getting ahead. We are. We're getting ahead. It's the first time in weeks that I've not gone, I'm not ready, can we do something <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> yeah, it's always me. It's always me. Um, yeah, so I got in... I, I think I got in just after quarter past eight. That's good. Yeah, so I was in town before four o'clock. So I was in work at 20 past seven this morning. Mm. Yeah. And then realised that I was on my own. Really? I was, the, I was the only manager in the shop until eight o'clock, which isn't bad. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I didn't realise this. <laughs> so then I had to do all the paperwork. I had to lock, unlock all the fire doors. I was like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> Go me. <laughs> it's not not great to have, you know, such responsibility on your shoulders at half past seven in the morning when you've had like five and a half hours sleep. <laughs> no, and you don't even drink coffee, do you? So No, I don't. When do you have your... Cause... Amy drinks a lot of Coca-Cola, so when do you have I your do. first Coke? I'm all the way to work in the car. Oh, so you do have caffeine then before <laughs> you get to work. Yeah, so I have, I'm have. i like a child, so I drink a pint of blackcurrant juice in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have my Rice Krispie bar when I first get in my car. You are a child. Breakfast. I really am. <laughs> um, and then once I've finished my Rice Krispie bar, I open my can of pop. I can picture in my head the roundabout that I'm on at this point. <laughs> I have a drink of my pop, and then I have a fag. <laughs> yeah. And that's my breakfast. 
At least you eat breakfast. I don't eat breakfast. I have to because obviously I'm up at half past five. Yeah, true. I'm in work at half past seven and I don't get my dinner till twelve. Oh, yeah. So I've started forcing myself to eat something. Yeah. And there are days, if I've had a decent sleep, where I'll even have a twirl on my first break. Wow. I know. This is from someone who never used to eat till about one o'clock. Yeah. No, on my days off, I still don't. It's really, really bizarre. I can go hours without eating. I suppose when you're at home, though, you're not rushing about doing all the jobs you do at work, though, are you? No. You don't stop once you're at work. No. I mean, I don't tend to stop on my day off, but I think it's because I know I've got access to food if I want it at any point. I'm not like, right, I'm going to eat now. Yeah. Because I have to eat between these times. Yeah. So. I've got some good news-ish. So... I planned on quitting vaping the day that I had my tooth out, but I was that miserable, I needed something, so I continued to vape, which I don't think helped the healing process. But, as this comes out, so last Monday, I decided that I was going to quit, I was done. So I didn't take my vape to work, then I got home and I was ready to kill somebody. (laughs) So... I'm now only vaping at home in the evenings. So I think that's amazing. There is no way in in hell that I could go to work without having at least three cigarettes before I get there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would rip somebody's head off. Yeah. Walking through the door. Well, I finally managed to quit smoking altogether because I was still... I started smoking again when I was going out drinking, didn't I? Yeah. And then once, like, the big lockdown, once that stopped and then the pubs opened... I was going out with our friend Lucy and I had one cig and was like, I never like this. And I think that was about July and I haven't touched any since then. Yeah. So I think I'm completely done with smoking. It's just the vaping now I need to get rid of. I think once I return to the gym and start running again, that might help. Mm. So yeah, we'll see. Just for the record, I did try vaping and ended up seeing my tea on the same day. (laughs) (laughs) So, vaping doesn't agree with me. No. Um, It's really sad when you throw up KFC. Yeah. Really sad. I didn't eat KFC for about a year afterwards. No, you didn't, did you? No, I was, like, completely put off it. Um... So yeah, me and vaping, we don't like each other. You're not friends, are you? Not at all. Like, all my friends at work, you know, middle of the pandemic, they're just not, they don't have brains. Try mine, try mine, you might like it. Like, you've had your mouth on it. Yeah. There's a deadly virus going round. Yeah. You two can share all you want, but I am not putting my mouth on that. No. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, it smells nice, but no thank you. Yeah, and you've tried at least three, haven't you? I have, yeah, I have tried a few times. Like, you tried when they first came out. Yeah, I got the one that lit up at the end that looked like a proper cigarette. Yeah, and then you tried again a couple of years later, and then you tried again when me and Mike started vaping, didn't you? Yeah, I did. About three years ago, so just not working for you. It's really not. No. No. But, oh well. At least you tried. I did, and I, I, I'm hoping one day that I will stop smoking, but I just don't think now, or 
the next year or so is the yeah. time. You can't do it till you're ready anyway, so there's no point trying. No. There's so not. I'll have the full willpower to want to do it, so. Yeah. Um, are we done? Yeah, I think that's the end of our therapy session at the end of a very, very horrible uh, Yeah, it case. was. Um, I hope you're enjoying the way we're doing this format. I prefer it. I think I prefer it too, because we, we get straight into it and then we get to have a bit of a chat after. And for the people who don't really care about our boring lives, yeah. they don't have to listen. Well, my favourite murder call them skippers. So at least now we don't have to do any oh. skipping, because you just stop it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just, just leave after yeah. the case is finished. Um, we will not be offended. <laughs> no, we won't. As long as you listen to the stuff we've put a lot of hard work into, that's fine. Well, you've put a lot of hard well, work into. Either way. You're a good you're a good proofreader, <laughs> so it's fine. Um, <laughs> happy Christmas. Because this is our yeah, this Merry is Christmas two everyone. days before Christmas this comes out. So if you're listening yeah. to it that week, happy Christmas. I hope you have a lovely day. I hope everyone gets more time off work than I do. Yeah. Or if you don't, I hope you get paid double time. Yeah. Unlike me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hope that you're safe and you're able to see family. Um, Because it's going to be a weird one this year, isn't it? It is. A lot of FaceTiming. I think that's uh, what people are going to have to rely on this year. Yeah, definitely. I mean... It's really helped us, hasn't it? I don't think we realised how yeah. much it had helped us until we saw each other the other week. Yeah, and then it felt like we'd just seen each other again yeah. like this. And I've never been into FaceTiming at all. I hate video calling, but no. with you, I like it, so that's fine. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. always good, considering we have no other choice. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I don't think we could do this over a phone call. No, definitely not. It's much easier to see each other than to just listen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I hope you get some nice gifts. I hope you have some good food. Um. And yeah, be safe. Really, I suppose. Yeah. Don't, don't do anything stupid so. if you're in the UK just because Boris says you can see people because it'll just make it worse for January. Yeah. And worse for people like Amy who has to work in an essential store. <laughs> <laughs> Essential there is in quotation marks. Essential-ish. I wouldn't even go that far. Okay, essential according to the CEO. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> We're never going to say where she works, so you're going to have to keep no, guessing. No, we can't at this point. <laughs> when she leaves, we might say, but for now. <laughs> yeah, not not for now. But also, um, don't forget, we have a spooky Christmas special on the 31st. So if you have any stories that you'd like us to read out, please let us know. And then we can share them. And next week's episode will be a Christmas murder. Um, So enjoy that. And I'm glad it's after Christmas, like we said last week, because at least then you won't have to listen to something morbid two days before Christmas. Well, no, Christmas Christmas morbid, not regular morbid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this a is a difference. regular morbid episode <laughs> yeah. uh, if you want to follow us you can do on Instagram and Twitter at rtrspod or you could join our Facebook group which is right to remain silent pod you can email us at right to remain silent pod at gmail.com and if you want to join our Patreon you can do at patreon.com slash rtrspod 
A thank you, everyone, for listening. If you've made it this far, well done. Yes, because this is the longest episode we've done in a while. Yeah. It is. And Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.